Good morning. Wow, that was pretty good. Usually I got to ask twice and then I feel some energy out there here this, this morning. I do, uh, like Jamie was talking about, it is nice to, to kind of see the sights and at least picture them in your mind. And uh, uh, I know, I mean, maybe you guys have been there too, reading the Bible, and it's always something like, oh, you can almost smell the, the, the dirt, the dust in that, in that street or whatever. But it, I like to kind of bring it, uh, bring it to life. So while that video is still really fresh in our minds, I want to kind of read through this scripture that we're going to talk about today. Normally when we hear the word miracles, we think of Jesus and we think of the New Testament. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's loaded, filled with miracles. But I want to look in the Old Testament and I want to look in the book of Second Kings and it's chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Second Kings is but the 12th book in, right before First Chronicles in the Old, the Old Testament. And we'll take a look at this story and, and then see if we can't kind of take it apart just a, just a little bit. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said. Just accept a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This woman was living in a time, and especially in her life, her life really was this life of chaos and suffering. She had lost her husband. Someone was coming for her two sons. She's way behind in her house payments. Her bills aren't being paid. The only way that's going to get accomplished is by someone taking those two sons, turning them into, into slaves. Bankruptcy wasn't an option. She was faced with a serious, serious situation. I wonder, those of us here today, I don't know what's in your hearts, what serious situation might be going on right now in your own lives. Maybe it involves employment. Maybe it's some kind of financial issue. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a marriage that you might be thinking, there's no way there's no way that this can be reconciled. I would, it would take a miracle. 
Maybe it's something to do with your children or grandchildren. Maybe it's an addiction that you just cannot seem to get victory over. I think each one of us could fill in the blank of whatever that is that's going on. But here's what I see, this point, first point here, is when we are faced with future decisions and changing circumstances, God can make a way. God loves us. He knows the way out. God is the master of all circumstances. Before I move too far along here, I want to talk just a second about God's love. We hear that all the time, don't we? You even see it at football games sometimes, you know, and someone holding up a sign and it says John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And I'm, I'm hoping that all of us sitting here not just know that love because we read about it in here or on here or we see it on a sign, but we know it in here. You know, God loved us so much that he wanted to have a relationship with each and every one of us, individual relationship. But we were separated. We're separated from God by sin. And that separation, that chasm between where God is and where we are is gigantic. Anybody here tried to jump over the Grand Canyon recently? That's what it would be like. That's how wide that chasm is, and even wider. God says, I can't be around that. I can't be around sin. But he didn't just leave us there in that dilemma, did he? He said, I think I'll send, not think, I know I'll send my son. And I'll lay all of my sin, all of your sin on Jesus as he was crucified on that cross, as he was up there for six hours paying that death penalty that we should have paid, right? So we don't ever, ever have to pay it again. God said the wages of sin is death. But that's not for us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have that way across to God, to have that relationship the reason I'm talking about that, I know there's many, of, I know many of you here, and I know there's many of us, if not all, that, that know that. Well, number one, it's super encouraging to hear that again. I love talking about what Jesus did for us. We should be talking about that all the time. But there could be someone here, though, that's kind of like, well, yeah, I'm just, Pastor Dan, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I know God. I th- yeah, I know what that Jesus guy did, but there's never been that settling of that relationship. And so right now, I just want to give that person or persons just a chance right now to settle that in their own hearts. And the way you can do that, because even right now, as I talk about this, if that's you here today, there's probably already a stirring going on in here. That's God doing that stirring. He's saying today is a day of salvation. That's what he's saying to you right now. And so if you want to just finalize that and settle that once and for all, 
someone says to you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you that you're going to heaven? You can just say, I'm a 10. And it's not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. And if you don't know that for sure, would you bow your heads with me? If you don't know that for sure, pray something like this. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from that sin now. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for every one of my sins. Past, present, future. Jesus, please come into my life now. My Lord is my Savior. I want to spend eternity with you forever and ever and ever. Amen. If you prayed that here today, we'll talk a little bit more about that towards, towards the end here before we, before we close. I do want to talk about miracles today. What we just talked about has got to be the biggest miracle ever, right? The fact that we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe is a miracle. But let me tell you something that happened in, in my life and with my wife, Jeannie. It was about seven years ago that we felt kind of a stirring in our hearts. Didn't know exactly what was going on. And Jeannie was struggling at that time with fibromyalgia. I think there's probably maybe many here that have that, that same struggle. I know it manifests itself differently in different people, but in, with her, it was a lot of fatigue. Um, it was a lot of pain. And she literally could maybe spend two days sleeping. That's how bad it was. We were in the Midwest, in the Minneapolis area, and a lot of fronts that keep coming through. We don't get that out here, but a lot of fronts that would come through and would just stir that up almost seemed like day after day after day. We were trying to find her some relief, and we heard about Arizona. We didn't want to come to Arizona because we just figured Arizona was like desert, you know, like sand as far as you could see. And then someone mentioned Prescott, and then we thought, they don't even know how to pronounce the cities out there. <laughs> it's Prescott. I mean, we have a Prescott, Wisconsin, you know, don't you know? And, <laughs> and we, I mean, <laughs> somebody from Minnesota here. And so we, uh, so anyway, uh, but we fought all that off, and we came out here for a week. And wow, Jeannie felt kind of, felt better. We're like, is it just that? So then we got in contact with the church because we wanted to come out and really kind of check this out. And there was a woman in the church that uh, happened to be uh, doing some uh, mission work with Wycliffe, and she was going to be gone in the month of June. And she actually said, uh, well, why don't you, maybe you should just stay in my house if you really want to do that. So we came out for the month of June. Um, I'm just going to embarrass her. Her name's K.S. Micus. And if you don't know Kay, you just need to get to know her. She is just a, such a sweet, sweet lady. And uh, so anyway, that was, that was a reason we were able really to come out here for a month. And we did. Jeannie felt much better. Then we started thinking, is, is, she, is, God, is God moving us? She actually, not wanting us just to visit there, 
We have four sons, seven grandchildren that are in the Minneapolis area. That can't be. God would never, ever ask us to move and leave all those kids and grandkids there, would he? So we prayed and we prayed and we talked and we prayed some more and we realized, yes, that's what he, exactly what he was doing. We moved out here seven years ago and in that move there was a miracle. Jeannie's health is probably 75% better out here. I don't really give all the credit to the weather. I don't know if I give any credit to the weather here. I give it all to God. I think God just brought healing to her. That's a miracle. And and also, too, I, I didn't come out here to, to be an on-staff pastor. That just kind of happened. That was another miracle, that I had this opportunity for these last six years, I mean, to talk to so many of you. There are so many familiar faces out here. And to pray with you and just hopefully encourage you, but also to hear your prayers for me and to hear your encouragement for me. That means so, so much. There's other miracles that we've seen I saw a 20-year-old man that came into uh, the hospital right here in Prescott and uh, eventually they just declared him brain dead and unhooked him from everything, put him in a hospice uh, location here, just basically waiting for him to die. And two days later, he woke up. And he is alive and well, lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. I wish he could be right here just telling his own story. And so it's those kind of, sometimes miracles are huge, big, big miracles. Um, I, I remember hearing about a miracle of a woman that had some car problems and all of a sudden all those car problems, the repairs were paid for from an anonymous source. Of course it happened to be just the exact amount that she needed. You know, I mean, is that not a miracle? Think in your own life, maybe, about a miracle, something that's happened. Maybe you had a miracle this morning. It's probably a miracle just that we get out of bed in the morning, I'm sure. But, <laughs> but think about that. Maybe it was, you know, last week. Uh, I want us to really be thinking about that as we talk about miracles. Point number two here is it's what we have that God uses. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here out of what we just read earlier. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. What do we have? I think God's asking us, bring whatever that is. What do we have that can help in that situation, in that circumstance? What can God use? Sometimes it's maybe just a humble heart. Maybe as we set some pride aside and we come to Him with a humble heart, things start changing. Miracles start happening. Maybe it's just honesty. Are we really going to to God in pure honesty of what are we really desiring? Are we desiring God's will? Maybe it's our prayer life. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you've, it's like, God, that's no way that's going to happen. I'm not even going to ask you for it. You know, I mean, that is just, why would I ask you? It just seems impossible. Sometimes it's 
just our, our willingness to bring it to him. Third point here is that God answers his children in ways that exercise their faith. Let me reread again a couple of verses here. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Can you imagine this widow going door to door, knocking on the door? Uh, do you have any jars? You know, I mean, it's, I wonder what she was thinking. Why am I doing this, maybe? This is so embarrassing that I'm asking for just an empty jar. It's not like a cup of sugar. And you just wonder what was, what was really going through her mind. But she did. She got out there. She was willing to do that. Are we willing to ask for other people's help? Sometimes, no, we don't. I get it. Sometimes maybe it's really, really personal, private. Yeah, we don't want to maybe share that with everybody. Usually, though, there's one or two that we can really trust, and we can ask them to pray for us. If it's not that personal, we have a prayer team that meets every Thursday right in, at Rosser. Every Thursday. They don't miss a Thursday, I mean, ever. And they're there, and they're smiling. I can't, I don't, I, sometimes I just don't even get it. You know, and they're, they're there for as long as it takes. And they pray through all those prayer requests that come in. What's that miracle maybe that you're looking for that you might want to just write that down on one of those hither cards, turn it in some Sunday, and let a whole bunch of people join you in prayer. That same prayer list goes out to close to a couple hundred email addresses. So if you ever want to be just bathed in prayer, write it down, turn it in. You will be. Her faith was rewarded, wasn't it? She now had uh, her bills paid, and not only that, she had money to live on. Fourth point here is that we should expect God to act. If we don't have this heart of expectancy, this attitude of expectancy, I think we're going to miss miracles. I know I have. Sometimes I'm just distracted and I miss them, but other times I, I just don't know if I'm expecting it to happen. I heard of this one conversation. One night a wife found her husband standing over their infant's crib, and as she watched him Looking down at their very first child, she saw in his face a mixture of emotions, disbelief, delight, amazement, touched by this unusual display in the deep emotions that it aroused. With her eyes glistening, she slipped her arm around her husband. A penny for your thought, she said. He kind of paused and he finally says, it's amazing. It is just amazing. I just don't see how anybody could make a crib like that for $69.95. I told that at the first service, and the same thing happened here, too. All I do is, I just hear the women laughing. I don't, I don't hear much from, much from the men. What do you think those two boys of that widow, oh God, what do you think they were expecting? First of all, you got all these empty jars. You got about this much oil. And, but then as they watched that happen, 
you know, I just, I, I don't know. It doesn't really tell us completely. So I, I don't know what was in their, in their mind. And then it said, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he replied, well, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. I found a really interesting comment by uh, Charles Spurgeon. He actually uh, was referred to as the Prince of Preachers. Listen to what he wrote. If she borrowed few vessels, she would have but little oil. If she borrowed many vessels, then they should all be filled, and she should have much oil. She was herself to measure out what she should have, and I believe that you and I, in the matter of spiritual blessings from God, have more to do with the measurement of our mercies than we think. We make our blessings little because our prayers are little. What's that miracle you're looking for? Have you actually given it to the Lord? Have you actually asked Him? And if you have, are you patiently waiting? Waiting is hard. Having faith in God, though, means that we need to have faith in God's timing also. You know, beware of giving up too soon. Our emotions, they're too unstable. Our emotions are not reliable guides to when something is done. Do not trust your emotions. Be patient. I know of a, a woman here who shared a story with me. She had an estranged relationship with uh, her daughter for 20 years estranged. And she prayed for 20 years, she prayed. And 20 years, it happened. God brought her a miracle. She has a great, great relationship with this daughter. That's a miracle, right? I heard of a, uh, another woman told me that when she was nine years old, that she, her miracle that she wanted, she wanted a, a baby sister. And not only did she want a baby sister, but she wanted the baby sister on her next birthday. I mean, wow. I mean, talk about just, just asking God, right? I don't know the whole story, but guess what? Yeah, she had a baby sister, and it was on her birthday. So what are we asking God for? I want to just share, you, share with you a story here that I, I found. It's from uh, Helen uh, Rosevere, a medical missionary. She's also an a author, England, English author. She served for years in the former uh, Belgian Congo. This is, what she, uh, this is her story. One night I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward, but in spite of all we could do, she died. She left us with this tiny premature baby, a crying two-year-old daughter. We would have difficulty keeping the baby alive as we had no incubator, uh, had no electricity to run an incubator, had no special feeding facilities. Although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly, treacherous drafts. One student midwife went for the box we had for such babies, the cotton wool the baby would be wrapped in. Another went to stoke up the fire and fill up a hot water bottle. 
She came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle, it had burst. Rubber perishes easily in tropical climates. And it's our last hot water bottle, she explained. As in the West, it is no good crying over spilled milk. So in Central Africa, it might be considered no good crying over burst water bottles. They do not grow on trees. There's no drugstores down the forest pathways. All right, I said. Put the baby as near the fire as you safely can. Sleep between the baby and the door to keep it free from drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. The following noon, as I did most days, I went to have prayers with any of the orphanage children who chose to gather with me. I gave the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about and told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm enough, mentioning the hot water bottle. The baby could so easily die if it got chills. I also told them of the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one 10-year-old girl, her name's Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt conciseness of our African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, as a baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. While I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added, by the way, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her? As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh, yes, I know he can do everything. The Bible says so, but there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be sending me a parcel from the homeland. I'd been in Africa for almost four years at that time, and I had never, ever received a parcel from home. Anyway, if anyone did send a parcel, who would put a hot water bottle in it? I live on the equator. Halfway through the afternoon while I was teaching in the nurses' training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt tears pricking my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. Together, we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes focused on the large cardboard box. From the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys. Eyes sparkled as I pulled them out. Then there were the knitted bandages for the leprosy patients. The children looked a little bored. Then there came a box that I could make a batch of buns for the weekend. Then as I put my hand in again, I felt the... Could it really be? I grasped it. I pulled it out. Yes. A brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward crying out, if God has sent the, bo- the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautiful, dressed dolly. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted. Looking up at me, she asked, can I go over with you and give this dolly to that little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? That parcel had been on the way for five whole months, packed up by my former Sunday school class whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. 
And one of the girls had put in a dolly for an African child five months before in answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old to bring it that afternoon. Are you trusting in God for your miracle? Are you trusting in Him no matter how impossible it seems? I'd like to invite uh, Jeff and Nan Williams to come up. They have a great story they, they would like to share with you. Jeff and Nan have been part of Cornerstone, not for a super long time, but for a long enough time to really get to know them, really love them, and appreciate them. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to let them, uh, let them share. But would you, would you welcome them? Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Colorstone. Cornerstone. Colorstone. My name is Jeff, and this is my wife, Nan. We have a little story about God's grace and a miracle in our life. I was raised in a church-going family. I was always serving in some capacity, but definitely fell spiritually short. I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior in 1981, but just kind of cruised. I met Nan in the summer of 1976. We dated on and off for six years, marrying her on April 17, 1982. We had what I thought was a pretty normal relationship. We had some tumultuous times, but me being human and male, I didn't realize that Nan wasn't on the same page I was on. We had two beautiful girls and carried on in that narrow path. I was a construction business owner and an avid bike racer. I buried myself into these two loves and just wasn't there for her or my family the way I should have been. Hi, I'm Nan, his better half. It's a... (laughs) It's only by God's beautiful grace we stand here before you still married. We are an example of God's modern-day miracles. For me, my marriage had become a hardship in my life, and not only was I living with the man I, I no longer loved, I actually despised him. My life was a prison of hurts, depression, and fear. We met early in life. I was only 17 at the time. It didn't take long for the world to tear us apart. We drifted farther and farther from each other, and eventually we were living under one roof but separate lives. I became so lonely, overwhelmed, and confused I wanted to die. Let's skip ahead 32 years. Nan and I were looking for a place to retire. Searching throughout the western states, we settled on Prescott. I closed my business, we sold our house, and we hauled our travel trailer to Prescott in search of a home. After a couple of weeks of house hunting and disagreeing with Nan, she left and returned to Southern California. It was just two short years ago that I left my husband of 32 years. I filed for divorce, and I wondered if I could ever feel love again. Little did I know that God had much greater plans for us better than even my mind could imagine or even dreamed of. After Nan left, I was content at first, living the bachelor life. I told myself it would take an act of God and some kind of a miracle for any type of reconciliation. I soon realized I was in need of a church. I searched and created a list of a number of local churches, setting off for one of them that following Sunday I traveled down Willow Creek, 
locating a church with no cars in the parking lot for the 8 o'clock service. Not knowing what to do, I went to the second church on my list, Cornerstone. At this time of day, at this very same time and day, after putting our stories together, Nan was going through a very similar situation, searching for Calvary Chapel in La Mirada. Nan couldn't find her church either. She was lost and came across a church with balloons and a bouncy toy out front. She stopped in her tracks, entering the church, only to hear a sermon on the negative aspects of divorce. Meanwhile, back at Cornerstone, I filled out a hi there card with a prayer request noting my separation. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Romans 8.28 Lost, lonely, and afraid... God began to work his miracles in our life. I, in California, I submerged myself in prayer, Christian counseling, and in church, which brings us to one surprising miracle in our stories. The sequence of events to take place was nothing short of his higher power. Down to the exact same day, hour, and minute, God spoke directly to each of us in different churches, in different states, through different pastors. That Sunday, Jeff was led to God, led by God to Cornerstone, and I was ushered to Faith Community in California. The message was received loud and clear. God wants our marriage to work. Don't give up. He wants us to be happy and to love each other. Our hearts were unexplainably softened that day. The following Wednesday, I was shopping at the Big Five down in PV when I received a call because of my prayer request in the Hi There card. The call was from Rick Wooten who followed our telephone conversation with prayer, at which time I bailed out of the store into the parking lot in tears, crying for the first time in years. Nan was planning on serving divorce papers on my next visit to California at one of our six storage units. She didn't want to serve me at a family function, so we agreed on this arrangement. Nan, because of being touched by the timely sermon, God's words, instead texted asking me whether or not I wanted to hold off on, hold, on serving the papers. She suggested that we meet at the storage area without any expectations. That night, we walked around town holding hands, enjoying dinner, and each other for the first time in years. A miracle had occurred. God gave us true love, being patient and kind, not envious or boastful, not rude or self-seeking, no longer easily angered, no records of wrongs, no delight in evil, but rejoicing with truth always trusting, hoping, always perseveres. From that point, we began to yield to God's will for us. Amazingly, our hearts and resentments were replaced with understanding and forgiveness. Somehow, some way, we had become like-minded. Jeff and I both at the same time committed to each other and to God that from that time forward, God would be number one in our lives. We spent time getting to know each other and to love one another in a new way, a way we had never known before. We recommitted our new vows on April 17, 2015. Our lives are so blessed today. We live in harmony, peace, acceptance, and love. We communicate, sincere, we communicate and sincerely care for each other. I truly believe it's all God's perfect plan and nothing short of a miracle that our lives have been restored We've been so blessed with a second chance. All we have to do is give our lives to God, and he will take care of it. 
Because of God's work in our lives, we are happy, free from all the anxious times ever since we recommitted our lives. I've been baptized a couple of months ago, and now a wonderful life with Jesus Christ. He's number one. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Thanks for the privilege for allowing us to share God's miracle in our life and all the glory to God. Real life, real life miracles. I'd like us to uh, just read a couple of verses together. It's from uh, Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus. If you'd just read with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All that we ask or imagine. I can't imagine that widow imagining what was going to happen with those jars, with that oil. It says, to him be the glory. Last point here is that we can honor God for what he has done and give him glory and praise. Many of the Psalms, they talk exactly about that. Psalm 50 says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. We can use what he does in our life to accomplish his purposes. God wanted to provide for that widow and those sons. He wanted to pay those debts. We can tell others, just like Jeff and Nan did here, sharing that miracle with others. Do you ever wonder what happened to those full jars? Did did that lady go back to those same houses? And was she actually selling back uh, that oil to those people that she collected the jars from? Uh, Maybe. Who'd she sell them to? Pastor Frank's uh, life verse comes from 1 Thessalonians and the first part of that talks about rejoicing always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Maybe you're wondering what all the jars are doing up here. Probably thankful that I didn't kick any over and break any. Um, I want everybody to take one. You're probably thinking, I don't need a jar. Well, First of all, these jars don't have any special power, sorry, uh, but they are special. On Wednesday night, 250-some jars were brought into the sanctuary at Rosser. Wednesday night is when the youth group meets, and we asked those youth, would you pray over these jars and ask for miracles to happen? And when you're done praying, would you just put a verse on it or write your name or whatever, however the Lord leads you. So each one of these jars has something on the top of them from one of those youth that took the time and, and prayed over all of these. 
I think there's more out in the, in the foyer also. So be sure to take one. Take that, whatever that miracle is that maybe that's come to mind here today. God is like, yeah, maybe that is possible. Write that down. Pray over that. Ask God to do something. Put it in that jar. And when that miracle comes, pull it out and give them thanksgiving. And make sure you share, share that miracle with someone else. As God allows a change in our situations and our circumstances, let's look for the miracles. Amen? All right. If you prayed this morning that prayer to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, you don't have to get up or do any of that, it's like everybody just probably started sweating. Uh, you don't have to do any of that, but what I'd like you to do is, I would like, if somebody's sitting next to you and you prayed that prayer, I want you to just give them a little elbow. It's still early in the morning, so be careful of how strong that elbow is. Just give them a little, just a little elbow, and if there's nobody alongside you and there's somebody in front of you, just tap them on the shoulder. If you just got elbowed or you just got tapped on the shoulder, make sure you encourage that person and that, that new decision that, that they made. I told, talked about that miracle that God did in the life of, of Jeannie and I seven years ago. And he started stirring, the stirring that started. I know a lot of you probably exactly know what I'm talking about. Some maybe don't, but there was just this stirring. I had no idea what was going on not knowing at that time that God was moving us from Minneapolis to Prescott, Arizona. Um, he started stirring again. No, we're not moving. <laughs> our house isn't on the market. You can go look. There's no for sale sign. This is still our church. Here's what he was, God was impressing upon our hearts was it's great that you can get back one or two weeks or so back to the Midwest, but I want you to spend more time with those grandchildren, all seven of them. And I want you to spend more time with all your family back there. The only way that that could be accomplished after much, much prayer and discussion was for me to step down from full-time staff ministry. I gave Pastor Clovis, I gave him a letter here uh, just a couple weeks ago, officially uh, saying as of April 30th, that I needed to do that so we can go and we can spend a month. We actually are, in the whole month of May, we're going to be in the Midwest. There's no snow there, I hope. Just snowed the other day. But anyway, we're going to be, going to be back there uh, for the whole month of May, and maybe longer, we don't know. Um, what a bittersweet decision. Uh, <laughs> It took literally 16 months of deciding, praying. So we do have to wait some time. But I believe that God is going to do a miracle by just this change of circumstance and this change of situation in our lives. That's what I want to look for. I don't want to be thinking about anything else. Okay, God, you asked us to do this. We're going to do this. Okay, what, how are you going to use us? Let's see some miracles that awe and expectancy. I'm comfortable, really comfortable, that the things that took place at Cornerstone under that rescue and love corner will continue to take place. There's been so much discussion and so much prayer and, and just 
people being um, stepping up, I should say, probably to a position that will allow them to do a lot of the ministry that, that I was just so blessed to do. It was never, ever was it a task to go visit somebody in the hospital. Never, ever was it a task to lay my hand on somebody and pray for somebody. Never. The phone calls that come in, Jeannie maybe heard me complain about them every now and then, you know, especially the supper time ones, you know. But, uh, but no, I enjoyed every, every single minute of that kind of ministry. God's just giving us a different kind of ministry. I'm going to have uh, Pastor Clovis come out. I really uh, picked on him the first service here. And so if he walks real slow, I got a couple... St- no, no. I, <laughs> I got to be careful because he's got a microphone also and I kind of paid for it uh, in, the, in the first service. But uh, uh, I just want everybody to really know here that uh, we have great staff meetings. Twice a week we have staff meetings and they're a lot of fun. And it's all because of me. It really is. It's you know, true. It, That's it, true. Yeah, it's so... So they're going to really miss that, but... Uh, we are. You know. <laughs> it's so easy to tease Dan because, you know, he's always talking about, I mean, for the last couple of years, he's wanted us to build a pedestal for him to be able to play bass from, <laughs> from back here. You know, things like that that just make it really easy to tease him. Yeah. So we really do enjoy having him in staff meeting. We're going to miss him a lot. I don't know how many of you realize that I'm actually Dan's better looking younger brother. Uh, I said that a little different in the first service. <laughs> Um, but actually everybody gets us confused. I mean, you know, inevitably if he preaches, somebody will thank me, you know, that for the sermon or, or vice versa. And so that's been going on for years. Uh, the hard part about that is that Danny, Dan is the candy man of Cornerstone. If you don't know that all the children come to Dan for candy. Of course, they come to me for candy too, thinking that I'm Dan. And I'm saying, I don't, I don't have any candy. You need to go see Pastor Dan. So I'm going to have to stock up, I guess, now that he won't be around as much. But what I'd like to do now is to ask Jeannie to come up and I'm going to ask the elders and staff come up. We're going to pray for Dan, but we just want to take a few minutes and just uh, kind of reiterate what Dan has said and just kind of let everybody know uh, what's going to be happening? Obviously, Dan is, uh, you know, wanting to have the freedom to be able to travel and go see his family and spend time with his family. I know some of you are in that retirement phase of life, and you can un- understand and appreciate that uh, desire. And so that's that's the reason why he's doing that. But he's not leaving. You know, he's still going to be a resident of Prescott, and we know he will be here in the winter. Because you don't want to be in Minnesota in the winter. So we know we will have him in the winter. And we hopefully will have him a whole lot more uh, than that. But obviously we're going to have to fill some of those shoes. Some really big shoes. And I know he's been very, very special to so many people. Because he's been there at that hospital bed or that crisis. But, you know, part of the sweet part of this is that God has been working for a while, I think, in, in Frank's life. And really giving him a heart and a desire to take on more of a care ministry role. So Frank's going to take on that as well as community groups, but he's going to be getting some help. That's one of the things that Dan mentioned. We've got lay leaders who are really willing to step up. People like Rick Wooten and Tom Betcher and Harv Smith and others who are willing to step up and help fill that role um, and be there, you know, for hospital visitations, et cetera. So that's going to be happening. Also in the whole outreach side of things, uh, Tom Garishay has such a heart 
for evangelism and outreach. And so he's willing to take on that role. So things are going to continue on. We're going to continue on with what God is doing, what he's called us to do here. But we are going to miss Dan and Jeannie greatly. And this is a team, by the way. I mean, they minister together. I know that Jeannie, even last night, was up late um, over with, uh, with uh, Wallaces. the Wallaces because they were having you know, difficult times. So this is a team team effort. So, well, we, um, I just want to reiterate that. Uh, I know this brings up the whole issue of, okay, where do we stand on the search process for uh, lead pastor? We thought about giving a fuller update today, but we don't want to take away from, from Dan. This is Dan's day and Dan's time. So we will be giving a fuller update. It's uh, very encouraging, very, very encouraging. And we um, hope to be able to give you a fuller update even possibly next Sunday. So just hang in there. God is working. We know that he has a plan and we're trusting him for that. Also, we're going to do a reception for uh, Dan and Jeannie as well as for Mark Kirkendall and Terry, who is, he's recently retired as well, um, on the 24th. So two Sundays from, from now, we're going to do it in between services and it'll be out at the patio, on the patio, uh, weather permitting. So that'll be an opportunity for you to greet them. So both of those guys have retired recently, but are both staying here in Prescott, staying at Cornerstone, will still be involved. They just won't be on full-time staff or part-time staff. So what we want to do now is to just pray for them. And um, I'm going to ask uh, a couple of people to pray. I'm going to ask Josh to pray, and then I'll ask Harv to close, and then we'll end our service. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for our brother Dan. And Lord, just uh, what a privilege it's been to serve alongside of him these past six years. And uh, just to see um, just his heart for you, his love for you and his love for people. Um, it really is contagious, Lord. And we're just uh, thankful to have him as a brother, as a pastor. And we pray uh, just your hand of blessing on him as he gets ready for this uh, next season of life. Lord, that you would use he, uh, him and Jeannie uh, to really minister to his family. Lord, that you would bring uh, just a season of refreshment uh, to them and that you would just work in a mighty way. Uh, we know that you're a God who performs miracles on a regular basis, and we know that you're going to work a miracle in this situation. So we love him, but we're thankful that he's not moving back and that we get to see him and enjoy his uh, candy and his, and his laughter and his jokes and just his heart. Uh, so, Lord, we just, again, pray your hand of blessing on him, and we look forward to what you're going to do uh, in their lives. Great Heavenly Father, it, uh, what, a, uh, what a miracle we have seen here at Cornerstone over these past six years. And much of that expectation came with the arrival of Dan and Jeannie at that time. Lord, we have watched, uh, watched you not only grow the numbers here and grow the, uh, the depth of, uh, of ministry, but to, uh, to grow the people in just such a mighty way. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for that miracle. We, and we uh, have expectation of even greater miracles as you use Dan and Jeannie in these, uh, in these coming years as well. So we thank you, Father, for what you have done here. We thank you for the way you have worked through them. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, 
visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.